we're back for another freewheeling podcast. No, this is not Abby Mickey. I'm stepping in just for the day. Um, you're joining me, Lauren Rowney, and my lovely co-host, Amy Jones. Hello, sitting next to you for the first time. I know this is fantastic. She yeah. even made me a cup of coffee this morning. How's that? Not everyone gets that treatment, I tell you. Gracie Elman. Hi, I'm very jealous of you two sitting next to each other on this video chat. Um, no one else can see, but it's making me have some, you know, Girona reminiscence, <laughs> missing that place. I feel like we have to try and come together all as once. I, I mean, I know you're in Australia, but there might be an opportunity in the future, perhaps, that we can <laughs> maybe be in the same room. Hopefully. Hopefully one day we'll be back. <laughs> I reckon we all just go over to Australia. The World Championships, September. I've, no, I can't go to that, I'm afraid. I'm one of our best <laughs> friends that weekend. Oh, boo. And I didn't get selected, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> and after a lot of demand, we are joined by Tilda. Hello. It's nice to be back on the podcast. So I'm not going to attempt to do the race rundown like Abby does off the top of her head because I just don't have a memory like her. But this past weekend was the Walter Burgos Femininas. Um, I think the best thing to do is just start off with stage one and what happened there. Uh, it was a bunch finish, lots of wind. Um, Tilda wrote a fantastic race, post-race report. So maybe you want to run down what happened in the race and then we'll dive into what we all saw. Yeah, so it was quite an interesting day, actually. There was quite a standard breakaway they just sort of went really early on and didn't get chased down which is what we've kind of been seeing in a lot of these races um if I can try and remember who was in the breakaway that would help but I think it was three people I'll tell you that much um and the main the, I think the main story of the breakaway was Lara Vicelli from Sarah Tizit WNT who picked up the mountain points and had the jersey in the end um but yeah it was I don't think any of the world tour teams are in that breakaway and then it was brought back towards the finish and set up for a sprint it was mainly SD Works and surprisingly considering they didn't really get a result Trek Segafredo were bringing it back um stage one that was the stage with all the crosswinds in the end wasn't it yeah um so it kind of got a bit hectic in the end once they'd caught the break um there was a big split Paulina Royakas was caught out riders like Veronica Ewers were out the back and a lot of teams got on the front when that echelons when those echelons were forming to try and split it apart for kind of G- GC interests because it was kind of hilly but not really that tough of a day. But it did all come back together, and I don't think anyone ended up actually losing time. And yeah, it came back together for a sprint. SD Works were on the front. Chloe Hosking led it into the final kilometre for Amelie de Derrickson. But Lotte Capecchi, after not racing for um, over a month since Rubey came back and won by like 10 bike lengths. So it was a pretty convincing win for her. Um, second place was Teresa Neumanova, which was an interesting, um, I'd say su- surprising inclusion. Um, and then it was Emma Norsgaard back in third, but they were really quite a way behind Kopecky in the end. Emma Norsgaard was parked up like... Mm. She was, yeah. I've been quite critical of Kopecky's sprint because I think I've mentioned a few times I thought maybe her sprint, um, you know, because she's been climbing so much better, what often happens when you focus on your climbing is sometimes that can take away from your final sprint, but it looks like actually she was sprinting like we saw her in years previously. But a talking point for me, I think we might have spoke about that on the chat um, when the race was going on, was uh, Canyon was super active in those crosswinds. Uh, they took a lot of initiative, and I don't know if that point, if Royakas was there and then she got lost in that moment, but then the camera obviously went to the back of the field to show that she was getting distanced um, because Canyon, yeah, I mean, previously they have been a team that, always looked for the wins and took a lot of initiative, same as Trek Segafredo. And that was really good to see them working together, but to the detriment of Roy Akers, it's It looked to me almost as if they were trying to, yeah, it was interesting because at one point you had Cassie Numedema on the front driving the split 
and Roy Eckers was off the back, you have to maybe give her the benefit of the doubt that she didn't know that was happening. But like it, and then eventually she stopped working and they kind of brought her back. So it seemed like they were trying to conserve her position for GC, which obviously was futile in the end. But mm. yeah, it, I mean, there's only so much you can do if you've got a rider who struggles with positioning. Yeah, I mean, in the ideal world, if you have your whole team up there forming the echelon, you know, you're trying to keep that rider there. But as we know, you it's very hard to sit back on the echelon. You actually have to get actively involved and rolled through. Otherwise, that's when those gaps form. And maybe that's sort of what happened because it, yeah, at least from what I saw, they were driving it. And then the formation at the front changed quite a bit. And maybe that's when they got on the radio that she was struggling at the back. So then a bunch of other riders came to the front and kept the momentum going. Yeah, riding in the crosswinds is an art in itself. And I think a big mistake riders make is quite counterintuitive is to not just do one really big effort to get back to the front straight away. Everyone wants to just sit in the wind and that's when it gets worse, when your situation always gets worse when you try and protect yourself. You cannot protect yourself in those moments. You have to just go full gas, get to the front and just push in. (laughs) And like Lauren, you were saying, you, you have to ride that echelon. You can't just sit behind it even if you're in the front one. And another thing, another mistake is they don't get on the radio straight away because they're just trying to stay protected. And I think Royakas is, she's learning really quickly. I think we're seeing her improve with every race, but certainly lots to pick apart, unfortunately. But I think this time around, she'll probably, yeah, pull out that the wind situation of like, you have to be on the radio straight away if you're not able to make that big effort. And otherwise your teammates don't know. And Cassia and a couple of other Canyon girls, they, they are quite experienced. I've ridden lots of echelons with Gashia. She'll get in there even though she's small. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I was reading on Twitter that what made the first two stages, at least from my perspective, super interesting was the win because flat stages can typically be sometimes boring. Um, also, when towards the end of a tour, you know that like the last two days are going to be the crucial days for GC. So, yeah, it was really exciting to see. Um, like Tilda mentioned, I'm not too familiar with the rider that got second, so I'm going to have to do a bit of Googling. But I thought um, throughout the tour we saw a few different names, which was nice to see. And something that we've mentioned before is the great thing about these tours is that riders get more opportunities. It's not just a one-day race where there is usually a set leader Um, there is the opportunity for the break to go, which we saw um, on day two. Um, And I guess people were thinking that that break would come back, but it managed to hold off towards the end. And we saw a different sort of winner. Again, another name that I'm not familiar with. My mind just went blank. You just looked at me as if I was going to say who I know. (laughs) (laughs) The bee pink girl. Yeah. Yeah. I think she was, I think she was pretty much a surprise to everyone. I don't think anyone really. I mean, I may be exposing myself for not knowing the ins and outs of the B-Pink team, but I mean, even in that group though, probably the only rider where I thought, oh yeah, I know a little bit about this rider was Nina Boysman. And obviously it was really, really close, but I think a lot of people would have said, especially going into those final 100 metres that kind of she was nailed on to win. But I think she just came from a little bit too far back. And also this was something that I don't think (laughs) I even pointed out in the race report that I wrote was that, B Pink had two riders there. So if they worked well together, which they clearly did, that was massively in their favor. And so actually, once it had happened, I thought, actually, that's not that much of a surprise because she had the other rider there where no one else did. And she had been up there in the um in the mountain sprints. But yeah, not a rider I know a lot about. And it does seem very rare these days that we have such an unknown rider win a world tour stage. Mm-hmm. Um even as you say, in these races where uh, less obvious riders get a chance, it's still usually like at someone from a top team, but a less obvious choice, not a complete um, outsider. So I thought that was very interesting. And I think actually in general, all of the smaller teams made a really good show of themselves over the weekend. And it was good to kind of get to know um, some of those some of those names, especially going into the next few stage races where, again, they'll have some more chances. Exactly. I think on that stage, that's where Human Powered Health had, I believe, 
their highest podium result in a world tour race for this season being a world tour team mm-hmm. um that's a big result for them uh they haven't had the best season but it seems like yeah i, I wouldn't say things are coming together but for me what the team that's been standing out um in this later part of the spring as we start entering, you know, these summer months has been EF education. I feel like they've been a lot more present. Of course, Veronica Ewers has been a rider that has stood out for that team, but it was great to see Katrin Hammers, the German rider, actually being up amongst it in the past races. So for me, that was really cool to see and just, yeah, just some different names. Um, I think we all enjoy that because, we get stuck in the trap, particularly when we're trying to pick favourites for races. It's always the same riders that we talk about and also just in general we talk about the same riders. So um, for us, I guess, after this going away and just doing a little bit of research on these these unknown inverted comma riders. <laughs> I think also the thing with stage two is like how often do we see an early breakaway? A, get that much time and B, yeah, make it to the line. Yeah. Um, it was it was six and a half minutes at one point. And I mean they brought it back to was it 30 seconds at the end? Mm. So I mean, you know, they went what it was a 90-kilometer break or something crazy. Mm, 90, yeah. 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 So it was like a typical long day out there, which um we've discussed before that um actually Grace, you've spoken about this, that now that we've reached this this new level with the women's world tour and just in general with women's cycling that that early break can go and teams are figuring out how to actually bring that back gradually over time. And normally we wouldn't see such a thing happen. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. They possibly mistimed it a little bit because to bring it within 30 seconds and then not, you know, not make that final push to to get there when it was going to be a sprint finish, like an opportunity loss for those World Tour teams? I don't know. It's, I, I thought it was, if they mistimed it, then, I mean, it, you know, there's the Olympics and then there's that. But, like, <laughs> I think that was a good thing. It was, like, exciting because how that's the other thing that you rarely see in women's cycling is that tension between, like, the break in the peloton in the final. Like, are they going to catch? Are they not going to catch? Like, we never really get that because mm. the peloton really keep the break, like, fully in check and they'll often like reel it in inexplicably with like 80k's to go every minute every 10k's yeah Yeah. and you're just like you know no one's gonna die if you just let that break go a little bit so it's like almost like a nervousness to like not allow that to happen but like I don't know it happened and you know it was fine and then we get a winner that we didn't predict exactly so I do love that Olympic reference I mean that was funny (laughs) Pretty much, you can't stuff it up any more than that. So why not? Why not just give it a benchmark? They were testing, you know, playing with letting the break go. Maybe not the right race to do it in, but yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. Oh, I, I do enjoy time. that tactic. Sometimes yeah. it's a bit boring in men's cycling, but I think for women's cycling, it's actually fun because you're not sure if they're going to get the calculation right or not. Yeah, agree, agree. Um, and then stage three. Should we start with the win or how, how it unfolded the stage? Because I was pretty stoked to see the winner of the day, um, Mavi Garcia, mm-hmm. which first women's world tour win for her. And fun fact, one year ago, that's when Cecily Uta Ludwig, did I say it wrong? No, I, um, no, no perfectly fun news. Ceci. Got her first. Sassy. Sassy. <laughs> All right. She, she definitely doesn't listen to the podcast. No. Oh man, I butcher her name in every commentary I do. I don't know why. It's like the one name that I can't get out of my mouth. <laughs> Ludwig. I'm Sassy. Sile. Sile. Abby, Sile. where are you? Um, <laughs> she one year ago won her first world tour stage on the same. Yep. I revisited line. that article on cycling tips. And I think it was like, if you're not crying, something or other, we're all crying. It was bad. It was pretty, yeah, it was pretty special. So let's start. Who wants to give the rundown? Stage three. What were the talkaway points? I'm looking at Amy and she's looking at me going, don't. <laughs> Miss Hilda. Yeah, should I do a little rundown? Um, on stage three, after the first two stages had been relatively 
especially stage one where they really let the break go and we were like oh okay maybe we're gonna have a normal race this weekend on stage three they really decided that the break was not going especially after they won on stage two um there was a moment where the race split apart about 50k in but it just quickly came back together um quite an elite group got away after 60 kilometers it was Lucinda Brand, Nina Boisman, Eleanor Gasparini, Marta Yokoska and Sandra Alonso um, and they had an advantage of like 20 seconds going back through they did this big loop and when they finished it they had 20 seconds away and they were working um, pretty solidly I think Boisman was looking for those um, mountain points but then when they got to the climb um, FDJ were really chasing and they brought these five riders back um, and there was a bit of hesitation, I would say, in the kind of run into the climb because it was it was not a massive climb, but it was a kind of one kilometer kick up to the finish. And yeah, it was down to the group of favorites. And on a relatively, um, it's quite a rolling part of road towards the finish, Ma- Mavi Garcia and El- Evita Music got away. Um, Mavi said at the finish that she wasn't going for the win. She just wanted to take some time, which I thought was an interesting, which is not usually the approach that she takes. She seems to be like all in and doesn't really think about the tactics too much. Um, and then I think she said she was quite surprised that music came with her. Um, but yeah, they were working really well together. And I think in that kind of moment of hesitation, when they went, um, the kind of the group behind weren't sure who was meant to be chasing this. Um, and their, their lead went out to like 30 seconds and, they held it all the way. And again, it was quite exciting coming towards line because there was this one kilometre climb up to the finish. I think a lot of riders in the chasing group thought that uh, Garcia and Music could kind of blow up on that climb or that if someone attacked at the bottom of the climb, someone like Vollering on Uvidoma, that they would be able to catch up with them. But they didn't. And Mavi went to the line and won and Music held on for... Uh, second um, and Mavi also took the took the lead uh, on that day that is right um, and yeah as you say first first world tour win for Mavi Garcia me and Amy were talking about is she is she underrated um, and was that kind of a surprising win I feel like I've been overrating her because I wouldn't have even realized that was her first world tour win but yeah yeah I didn't realize that either but speaking about underrated I mean, everyone knows what Mavi Garcia is capable of. It was within 15 kilometres to go and with a 1K, pretty solid climb to the finish. Going out to 30 seconds, you could still bring that back, but you, the chasing teams had to be on it in that moment um, and really have it in control. And it looked like at one point it was going to happen. Demi Vollering did a monster of a turn. And then it looked like she blew up and went back. And then she lost was, contact. She minute. lost contact. There was a moment of hesitation, I guess, in the group. And then the gap just started going out again, which I thought was odd um, because there was still really good representation in there. I don't know if that was the stage where Bike Exchange had five riders, was it? Mm. They yeah. had fantastic numbers the whole race, to be honest, um, in terms of representation in that front group. But again, like on stage two, um, mistiming, not enough cooperation within the, the chase or communication. And yeah, um, when they hit that finishing climb, they still had a decent gap. Yes, it came down a little bit, but Mavi Garcia went for it with 800 meters to go, dropped Evita music. And then, I mean, she even managed to hang on for seconds. So yeah, another mistake by the chasing group not taking responsibility and like you said perhaps that was the case is not one team was thinking yeah this is our responsibility I mean of course B Pink had the the leader's jersey at that point mm-hmm. but she had been distanced earlier in the stage so it's not like they had representation all the numbers to to lead a chase I don't even know if they had anyone present anymore. So I think, I think the, yeah, I think the leader was the only one who was there and she got distance, but I think bike exchange was the most interesting one for me because Mm. in that kind of situation where there was no clear team to take up the lead, well, take up the chase, sorry. They had five riders there and they were like, 
just behind, they were just sitting behind SD Works, who had Fisher Black, Shackley, and Vollering. And they seemed kind of ready to take up the chase, but they just never did. And I thought, if you get involved with this, you could bring it back better than probably these three SD Works riders could. And they had riders like Faulkner, who'd been really attacking. And so I don't, I don't really understand how they, why, why they didn't take that on. I think, I think maybe there's a bit of a syndrome of like not wanting to work with SD Works and just get beaten on the line, but felt like a little bit of a missed opportunity. Bit negative, that in it. Mm. It's negative racing. SD Works, you know, they they didn't have a full team to begin with. Um, and then Vollering obviously wasn't feeling great that day. She did have a really bad crash. We will talk about stage four in a minute. But um, in Durango. Um, the one day race that that was the race that she crashed in, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And, you know, she came back to race this race, but she was, they were obviously riding for Kapeki. Kapeki was sitting in the bunch and then everyone looked at SD Works and thought, well, if Kapeki's still here, she's going to be the person to beat up this climb. But actually she got pipped on the line for third in the end anyway. Yeah. Yeah, what were bike exchange up to in general, really? I don't know, but I always feel like now that we have live coverage, it just takes me back to days of racing where, like, um, my DS would say, if we see your number at the back of the peloton, like, we'll see it. We're car number one. So you were always consciously thinking get to the front. But there is one rider, I think, the whole tour from bike exchange that was just constantly on the back. Was it Erska? Yeah. Um, four of her teammates up the front and then she she was sitting on the back. So um, that's, I don't know why I bring that up, but just the fact that you could she see. She did crash, I think, on the, se- uh, was it that day or the second stage where she crashed? Um, no, uh, Kristen Faulkner actually got taken off at one of the feeds. Yeah, that was in this back. stage. Yeah. That was the stage. And she had to chase back um, and she made contact again with, another group I feel like they're still trying to like gel together mm. or like in that team because it's a new composition who are they riding for like what who are they in for like Faulkner as well like she's super strong but clearly like oh, oh, we saw that in Azulia but like again like she's kind of she, she does seem to tash a lot she doesn't yeah her, her attacks are like a bit random not that I know anything about that but like yeah <laughs> well I think Santa Stevan was talking um, at the finish yesterday, not to get ahead of ourselves, but she was being really, really positive about it. And I think she was coming off sickness from Itzulia and she finished ninth yesterday and ninth overall. Um, mm-hmm. But I, th- I think maybe just like they kind of went in with the like triple pronged attack, having Sprat, mm-hmm. Faulkner and San- Santa Stabern and then kind of never really committed to any of them. And I think... I feel like- is it when you're happy with ninth? As a world well, team, that's yeah, I yeah don't know. like exactly. not, if she's coming back from illness, yeah. that's like fair enough. But but it's ninth at the end of the day. Well, so when like, does the no rider finish room. a race and go, my team was shit. It was shit. I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing again. Not not to jump forward to tomorrow, but then she was saying in this post race thing, she was saying like they were right there at the bottom of the climb. They were positioning me really well, and obviously we have to take a word for that because we didn't see it. But then I was watching that clip that Movistar put out of the climb, and bike exchange were nowhere. And I thought, why are you saying this then? Like. She knew, she knew the there was no coverage and she yeah. just was like, I'll make thought, it up. I'll make it sound like the team were really great. <laughs> but yeah, it was an interesting get back one. control of that narrative. <laughs> I know if you read of it, any of Bike Exchange's pre-race reports or previews, it's always, we have lots of cards to play, like without fail. Like that's almost every time they write that. And it cracked my brain back in the day when I was on that team <laughs> because, I don't know, if, it's kind of nice. It's a nice phrase, but it's also not a great way to race mm, so just have one card <laughs> just play it I mean and I just feel like they're always just a bit wishy-washy and there's lots of reasons for that for different races but like Spratty's still coming back mm-hmm. slowly and surely and she'd be in the team captain role more than likely um so it's a it's probably a strange place for her to be in a team captain role but not on her best form so maybe that's a big factor as well and they're just you know slowly gelling as a team as Amy was saying I kind of agree with that as well um but yeah a lot of green riders in that team too so Mm. I think it just 
Yeah, that's true. We kind of lampooned uh, FDJ earlier in the season for going in with a multi-leader approach and like ripped that to shreds. But Bike Exchange have been doing the same. And I guess since Anamique mm. left almost, we've come to expect a lot less mm. from that team. I, I think the difference as well about the FDJ um, multi-rider approach is like you actually have three or four riders who can legitimately mm. win. When Sprat is on form, yes, for sure. Yeah. And sorry if I say her name wrong. And Sebastian. And Santisteban. So, wow, well done. Um, she's not someone who stands out <laughs> as like an all-out winner. She can run top tens, sometimes top fives. If I'm wrong, correct me. But at the moment, they don't really without Spratty at um, her best, and she's still building. They don't have that that one big card to play. So yeah, okay, put on the table a few different cards. But um, in general, it's just nice to see like they did have numbers, which mm. says something about the the potential strength of the team. Um, like Gracie said, they're still learning to work together, and it is still they're still green. Um, Spratty is a great captain, so there's lots to be learned there from these young riders um, or green riders, we'll say. Um, but yeah, I mean, they've got lots of cards to play, but they need to figure out how to play them. Yeah, and <laughs> Faulkner, I feel like she's had some good form recently, but maybe they're not using, I don't know if it's coming from her or just from the team, um, using her strengths to their advantage. Yeah. Faulkner's definitely a winner. You just yeah. need to point her in the right direction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think we saw that when she was on Tibco, she was running. Lots of top tens without um, support before she came across to bike exchange. But you're right; she just needs that bit of help. Um, sometimes it comes really naturally to, to athletes coming into the sport, but others just need a bit more guidance. She can do it. She won the stage in Norway last year, didn't she? Yeah, that and she's always around. Like she's been up around the mark too. So, um, any takeaway? Other takeaway points? Oh, DSM, getting a podium. We'll get into that for the next day. But um, Leanna Lippert, been around the mark the past weeks. Um, actually, uh, I think the last podcast we were talking about how it seems like DSM are starting to pull things together in these stage races. They've got Florja Mackay, um, Leanna Lippert and Juliet Labou. Is that it? Yeah. Who've been racing quite well as a team um, with being quite aggressive too. So it was cool to see her get up there and actually pip um, lots of Kopecky on the line. I was having a bit of a dig in last week just out of interest because I was wondering how many race days a lot of riders have had so far this year because it seems to me, and the reason I looked them up was it feels like Flossie Mackay, Leon Lippert and Juliette Labousse, they're always at every race and they're always there in the front. They're really good, but they never get results. And I was like, Maybe they're a bit over-raced, but I don't know. I don't know what you guys think on this one, but gosh, they're so talented, um, but just don't get enough results for how good they are. And I'm not sure if that's a leadership thing or if it's just their rulers and that's just the nature of their ability skill sets or if they need to just be a bit more focused in their approach to races and potentially in their training and figuring out how to use their strengths better. But mm. great to see a podium finally. <laughs> no, I was going to say, like, I, that's true. Like, you always see them there. And it's kind of like, it's you'd understand, like, if they were young developing riders and it was like, you know, chuck them into every race, like, see what sticks. But riders, like, Fortune Mackay is what, like, 26, 27? She's, she's been, been around for a young. Yeah, like, maybe she should be given the chance to kind of target races and periodize her training a little bit and just like, that's a yeah. valid point, though, Gracie. I feel like they have been in almost every race. Um, we'd have to go back and look at that. That's They, they yeah. didn't have the most race days. It was um, the Italians, the Italian ex-champion. <laughs> yeah, and her teammate, Berditzolo. They, they'd done lots of race days. But the, the DSM girls, they, they were pretty close behind, so it, it proved what I suspected that they hadn't had much break and yeah. Maybe, maybe that team needs to hire better. a few more support riders mm-hmm. for them. Maybe that's the kind of key that, cause really can't think 
Uh, they're, all, they're also missing um, Bye for Georgie for these reasons. Uh-huh. Yeah, but she, I feel like she was at almost every spring race, right? Yeah, yeah. And, like, up in the mix. So speaking of before we get into stage four, um, race days and everything, like, I feel like now is the time, correct me if I'm wrong, Gracie, to have that bit of downtime. And then it seems like athletes are starting to build up again now for what's coming up in July, which is going to be a huge month that that period there with, you know, the Jura and the Tour de France. So I'm actually very curious to see how these three DSM riders go as we start approaching these next races. Um, if they're on the start line for the races in Britain coming up that we'll speak about, I don't know. And then you've got the the national championships too, but we don't want to get into that too much. We can talk about that maybe with the, the preview of the upcoming races. Stage four, who knows really what happened? Well, we have an idea now, thanks to Tilda and her her post race report live coverage. You was... know, you're giving heaps of credit to Bella and you. <laughs> oh, whoops! Just don't say who it was. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's because I, yours was the first one that came up, and I was googling cycling tips stage um, four. But like, I put in all the keywords. Nothing did you say? Up. Did you put report? Because we didn't put report. <sighs> No, that's why. It also, my job's up. not SEO. It wasn't me. Okay. It was like, it was honestly not coming up at all. But yes, Probably because I, I always go yet. to cycling tips. How long after the race did you try and find it? <laughs> it took me at least an hour. Early this morning. Oh. Like 6 a.m. No, I've done it now. Yeah, <laughs> good. Um, I guess we start with live coverage. Uh, last year, I think we watched a thrilling final three kilometers of the race. Lucky us. Thrilling. <laughs> it was thrilling. We got to watch Anna Meek and Anna Vanderbregen yeah, go head yeah. to head, but no one knows really what happened before that. We could have written the story ourselves. If a tree falls in the woods. <laughs> um, so there wasn't any coverage, which was, again, a bit disappointing. Um, a bit. Yeah, very disappointing. There was a lot of deba- debates on Twitter about this and I think a certain race director was it the guy having a go? Oh, a few people had a crack. Hey, I just uh, turned that thing off after a while. Um, so it was, to be honest, like we, we go on about this a lot. Stage four is the the stage I think everyone was looking forward to the most, at least I was, um, because we had talked at length about it in the previous podcast. I mean, we didn't know how Demi Vollering was going to come into this because she crashed and and stage three she did a massive effort and it looked like she actually wasn't in her best shape the past couple of days so still we wanted to see who could like she was a hot favorite for this stage going into um the race and was going to be a question of who was going to be in that front group and what was it going to look like on that climb i'm sad that we didn't get to see pauline Roya because i have a crack at that climb yeah well, that was the dream, the head-to-head battle of the two friends. But both, yeah, I mean, as it turned out, Demi Vollering was feeling pretty good on the day to, to come away with a victory um, ahead of Evita Music. No, it was um, Juliette Labou. Juliette Labou of DSM and then Evita Music, which were we surprised by that? I mean, she raced mm. really well on stage three, but with Mavi Garcia's attack, I guess that's a different climb, a one kilometer compared to to a really long, steep climb. So different. Surprised sort of by Evita or surprised by Labu? Labu. I mean, she's she's known as a good climber. I suppose we're just used to not seeing him because, like, there's a bunch of other people who are usually ahead who weren't at this race or weren't at that stage. Another thing about yesterday, so I just pivot here, but. Mm-hmm. Loads of riders dropped out, and I mm. don't know what happened mm. again because we, we didn't see it. But I was watching kind of the live ticker, and it was like abandon after abandon, including like the leader of the QOM competition. Oh, yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I imagine there must have been like a crash or something. But again, we don't, we don't know. know. Well, I'm going to get a pilot license. Maybe they found out that there was um. no coverage, and they were like, what's the point? Yeah. yeah. Oh, like a mass yeah, protest. I'm just, I'm just gonna I actually would rate anyway. that to be found. Let's just climb off. No one's watching. 
Let's go home. I told my mum that I was going to be on TV today and, and <laughs> not, so. <laughs> but do you think part of it, though, is that if you get to this point in a stage race and you've got a 12-kilometre climb coming up and you're not feeling good, why bother? Just get yeah, the except if you're wearing the QOM jersey. Well, yeah. yeah. But there was no, like, this was, I know the commentary were going in on this a bit, but the points were set up ridiculously. There was like 40 points on the last climb yeah. and there was 36 yeah. points in the whole rest of the race. So I think the race was designed right? like to like that. If there wasn't the wind in the early stages, we'd be complaining that everyone was just waiting for the last day, probably. Yeah. So thank God yeah. there was real racing to watch on those first stages because it still would have been fun to see the stage. And I, I don't know. I don't understand it. Even if the signal was bad, like, like you said, no, actually someone else said on Twitter, why not maybe move it then? If you, if you know this beforehand, don't promise live coverage on that day, which would be weird if it's like the queen stage and the final stage. Well, they also wouldn't be able to do that because you can't, the UCI like wouldn't have been like, yeah, you can have this race, but you're just not going to watch the last stage. Yeah, exactly. But well, it's plenty of races haven't been doing it. And haven't got any yeah, and, real backlash. Well, yeah, yeah. And like for DSM, so going back to actual race, walking away with the GC victory in a world tour race was a huge deal. Um, they had a fantastic tour. And for this rider, um, Juliette Labou, mm-hmm. this is her biggest result to date. Um, it's a huge, huge result. And we couldn't actually see it or celebrate it. Um yeah, so it's it's really disappointing, and I guess everyone listening to this podcast is invested in women's cycling, so you, you probably share our disappointment and you can understand the frustrations. What do we do moving forward? I guess the question will be now, like with a certain race that's coming up, is there actually live coverage? Of, the, of Ride London and the women's tour? Yeah, I mean, it's getting pretty close now, and no one's, you know, they've already, they said they were struggling for it, before and they've not they've not come out and said they're going to have it so we can assume that they're not going to have it and that means that they should be relegated next year to wherever the bin so (laughs) I mean (laughs) oh god he's coming after me now eh um he's already come after you that's true he has come after doesn't matter but I'm sorry like in this day and age there's no excuse it don't if you can't there was a stage at the Giro once remember oh, for the men. Hell, sorry yeah it has happened for the men i'm so stupid i'm one sorry. stage out of 20 not 21 mate yeah 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 and everyone everyone seems to give loads of reasons for it but like they just shouldn't just shouldn't happen like whether it's a valid reason of plane not working or not like why doesn't that happen in the men's race if this is a really common issue because it's, that's not the reason is it because they have all these contingencies right they'll have for the men they'll put on they'll like a spare plane or something yeah, 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 exactly. Like I said, I'm getting a pilot's license and I'm going to be ready to just fly my plane to whatever race can't be broadcast. Look, I'm telling you, I've said it before, we just need a motorcycle. One of us driving, I have my license, one on the back, rogue reporter with your phone. It's been done before. Live on Instagram. Actually, but as nice as that idea is, though, not to be like real serious here, but like, it shouldn't have to be like that. Like no. it should, there should be like professional production. And if it goes wrong, it's, if there's a hitch for like, a, if there's a gap in the coverage for a little bit yeah, and they get it working again, that's whatever. But there was literally whatever. nothing. Yeah. Yeah. How often do you see an entire, because even on that Giro stage that everyone was like loving telling me about. It was just the. It was just the one climb the, the one rest climb. of the day. And it was inclement weather that was yeah. the problem. Yeah. The weather looked all right to me from the finish line yesterday. So maybe a little bit windy. Don't know. But like. That's it. Yeah. yeah. And How also often? they did rec- like they did record the stage and that footage does exist because they sent out teams and Mobistar put together a little Mobistar fan edit of their stage. But it's like, so why isn't that footage out there? Just put mm. that on YouTube as soon as yeah. you can. Yeah, exactly. Like, that seems as well just a missed a missed opportunity. And wouldn't you be trying to kind of rectify things as quickly as you can? And so we could have watched it and be talking about it a bit more. But again, we're still in the dark about really what happened. But then to me, that just screams like a total apathy towards like, whether it gets put out there or not. It, I get the sense that it, there was no real 
drive yesterday to fix the issue. There was no sense of like duty to the people who wanted to watch the race or to the riders or anyone to get the footage out there, like you say. Like if they actually cared about their responsibility to show the race, they would have done that. They would have like found a way to at least, at least even after it's finished, show people what happened. Maybe that's why GCN didn't bother with it. Is that possible? I don't know. It wasn't on it wasn't on GCN this race, was it? Yeah, it was. It was it was, it was? just geoblocks. Oh, yeah. okay. Right. There you go. Yeah. On that point, maybe we spoke about this last week a bit, didn't we, Amy? Is that what do we think about races getting relegated for these? I mean, what's the word? You're a rosa. Going against it. Like, is it a good thing? Like, do we want to see races die because of it? And I know well, it sounds really brutal, but my opinion is probably if you can't offer live coverage. What are you offering to the calendar, especially for a race like Bride London, which is going to be three sprint stages? What are you really offering to the calendar if not any exposure? And maybe maybe you should just bend the race. I don't know if that sounds really controversial, but well, Giro Rosa got relegated, right? From mm. World War. I feel like the Giro Rosa is a whole beast. When yeah, it comes I, like a whole, <laughs> we can have a whole podcast own right? subsection of like problematic race. Well, you've been there firsthand as well. On the yeah. other side of the fence. We've been there on one side, Gracie, and we know yep. the chaos that is, ensues with it's um it's an, a special race in it many is. ways. But, yeah, I don't know. I've been trying to think about this too. Is it like a one strike you're out next year or is it a two strike you're out? Because if it's two years in a row, that's two years of a lot of missed coverage. That's the it's too much in my opinion. So I really don't know where you draw the line, but I just think that there needs to be more consequences for empty promises <laughs> and things that are not being delivered that have to be deliverables because that's the rules. <laughs> so, yeah, should they be fined, uh, relegated for next year? I don't know. It's It is a tough one because you don't want to lose races completely, but you also don't want them to be getting away with what they're getting away with nowadays. It's just not acceptable anymore. Exactly. It's all well and good to pay lip service to like, oh, we're going to do live coverage. We're going to have that. And then, and then sort of play the card of, but we put on this really good race and like, isn't that enough? Like we just can't afford coverage because of this. And I'm sorry to like call them out again, but in the women's tours case, it's quite baffling really because they offer this like huge prize purse and they keep bashing on about that. But if you ask the riders, they'd probably prefer for the race to be live, like the peloton as a whole, than to have like this massive, like showy prize purse. And if the race, if you are a world tour race and you can't afford to put on live coverage, simply don't be a world tour race. Mm -hmm. Like not every race has to be a world tour race. Like it's fine. And the thing is, is there are even like, there's, there's one random 1.1s in Belgium that managed to cobble together a YouTube live feed. So like, come on, you know? Yeah, I think we could probably have a, we should actually maybe have an end of season proper conversation podcast dedicated to this for the really like hardcore listeners. Just like calling out whoever, like in the bin this way. <laughs> it could be like, <laughs> it could be like. Shag Mario Void with races. That <laughs> you know, get <laughs> a <laughs> conversation. There could be some. There's always a bit karma. of Debbie here somewhere. Debbie always. <laughs> That's true. Um, I think someone's got to say it though, haven't they? You've got to sit here and say it's not good enough. Otherwise, no one's going to change. Yeah, do a lot. Absolutely. And like, because otherwise, like, I think, I think a lot. What a lot of these people have relied on is this sense of like gratitude for the bare minimum that's kind of been prevalent in women's cycling for a long time of like oh thank you so much for these crumbs off the table um we don't ask for any more though like even though we really want it and I think a lot of these like athletic organizers who don't really give a toss have and put on the race to just kind of tick I don't know some kind of box in like equality or whatever they rely on the fact that no one's really going to kick off about it because it's kind of like well what do you mean we gave you a race what more do you want but now and I wrote this yesterday like this year especially we've seen so much more live coverage than ever and the bar is way higher and we've come to expect way more 
that when we don't see it, mm-hmm. we're like, no, hang on a minute. This is not like, even if you think about like the minimum that the UCI set is 45 minutes, if we get a race with 45 minutes of coverage. We're like, what the hell is this? This is crap. So yeah. And there you go. The UCI. So you can start there. For once, I don't actually blame the UCI for this. Like I, I don't blame them. I think they need to do more to crack down on or on races that don't. That's what I mean. Follow through. Yeah. But the, the, the standard for me was really set this year with Flanders. We pretty much got to watch almost the whole race. Maybe that's what needs to happen to race organizers is that needs to have like one big like controversial thing with like like the Omloop prize money and then Flanders Classics are like, actually, no, to be fair to them, they did have that close mm-hmm. the gap thing before that happened. Yeah. But they've been working towards this for years. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I you can't. That. It doesn't but, happen overnight. But that that for me is like, this is the standard now. That's yeah. what we would like to see. It's the standard. And yes, they have lots of money as an organization. But that's the thing. Like, if you don't have that, and like, if you don't, if you want to put on a race on a shoestring and live coverage is the first thing to go, then yeah, just don't be a world tour race. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we've said it before, we need anyway more races that aren't world tour. So yeah, these other teams can also have opportunities to race. Um, which again is a whole another discussion that we've had previously. Uh, when you compare the calendar of the Women's World Tour and just below that, we will say the continental level. Um, there's a few more races available now, but um, when I was a mentor last year for one of the, the TCA riders trying to figure out what her race calendar was, like they just didn't have that many race days mm-hmm. or or invites. And of course it was a pandemic year as well, but um, there is this huge gap and these riders need to race and they need to get seen and big teams need to be at these races as well. So they can also be seen um, and, you know, compare themselves and actually race against some of the best riders in the world, because that's where often the results come that allow these relatively unknown riders or young riders to step up. Um, and Turrigan, actually, one of my favourite races, I believe, starts today this, or tomorrow? Uh, tomorrow? Tomorrow. So when this is in your ears, it will be the first stage of that Which race. Which is a, a live coverage. And it's not even a world tour race. No, it's so. a fantastic tour. has always been run really, really well. Um, great stages. A lot of top athletes have, you know, come through this race and won it. Uh, like Lisa Brenoir, I think Ellen Van Dyke, Evelyn Stevens. Um, and speaking of, that's a good transition. Today at 5 p.m., so tomorrow, the result. Oh, it's, yes. yes. Okay. It is the hour record. So I flew into Girona last night and I did a little bit of a deep dive into the hour record and the history of it's pretty interesting. Oh, was it you that wrote there? Yeah, so just a fun fact, the first hour record attempted was by a French woman Go in, in 19, 1893, Saint-Savoir. I'm going to say just her last name because I don't know how to say it. Mille de, you have a little bit of French. Tilda, who? um, Do you have the the notes, Tilda? Yeah. Mille de Saint-Sauveur. Yeah, there we go. Um, So that that was in 18, I think, 93, I said. Um, And the fun thing about this was traditionally, I didn't know this, the hour record was like this crazy paced event where, the athlete had like random people, gen- it was a, generally men because this is the first attempt by a woman, coming in and pacing the person trying to attempt the hour record. So they were actually essentially drafting and they had different people. They coming. were drafting. Yeah. So yeah, it was like-, like a drafted thing. And she was, she created history for two reasons. She was the first woman to do it and she was the first person to do it unpaced. And then this whole idea of the, the unpaced. Woman. She doesn't need anyone. Yeah, exactly. This whole idea of the unpaced, um, our record attempt sort of, it was the birth of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and she did it in 26 kilometres an hour, which might not sound impressive, but if we think about the sort of bikes they were riding in 1893, she was wearing like a full-on proper, like, um, skin suit. No, skin suit. I don't know. Everyone <laughs> made skin suits what, in them days. Whatever in 18. I don't know. You've got to look at the pictures. There's how she was wearing like bloomers. Uh, the, yeah, probably. The canvas well, skin suit. 
Yeah. This is how much I know or care about aerodynamics. I don't even know when it was invented. Yeah. Well, what would they made skin suits out of like sheep's bladders or something? Yeah. Fuck, I don't know. <laughs> she, she definitely wasn't. She looked like a proper lady. Um, and another thing is she was actually a, a, circus, lady. a circus performer. Um, and that year alone, there were six different attempts on this this hour record in 1893. They loved the track back in those days. Yeah, and the, the other deep it. dive I went into, there was um, a six-day race organised mm. by the French, and it was all these, like, performers, um, these female performers, and they drew, like, a crowd of 5,000 people came to watch these women in the late In the late 1800s, track cycling was, like, huge. In America as well, they had, like, loads of um six day events there were like a group of women um and what was her name not Tilly Anderson yes yeah who was like one of the big ones um were they like sport heroes or were they more of like a triviality they know that well in France it was a little bit of a triviality but it was that entertainment I guess I guess that's what it is though that's what sport is it was like high entertainment yeah exactly and they created like rivalries, like the newspapers mm-hmm. would talk about it. It was really short-lived though. It was like yeah. gone by like the early 1900s. And then actually from this event, this is where sort of the, the idea, at least from my understanding, the Tour de France came from because it was a newspaper that came up with this idea of this woman, female performer bike race that attracted such a big crowd that they were like, let's do another stunt. Let's organize this thing called the Tour de France. And then it became what it is today. So the history is quite interesting. Um, I think we need to do a spin-off history corner freeway then. Well, it, it was just um, it was just interesting. And you know, Ellen Van Dyke, she's competing at five o'clock today, I believe. Um, I think there is a live stream. She's I'm sorry posting, to say that I maybe won't watch the entire live I'll stream. watch the last 10 minutes. Um, I'll I'll start and then I'll come back to it, I think. Well, actually, I'll probably be in a meeting, but I might sneakily have it on the phone. Um, she's been posting about the history of the event, which I thought was really cool because... Oh, has she? Yeah. So on Instagram, she, she's really pumped up about it. If you know Ellen, she's she's become better with the gram, I would say, but she's really been on top of it with, with this event and she's been going back in time and looking at all the women. There's like the, the considerate three periods of the hour record that like the eight, late 1800s to the 50s and then the 50s to... I don't know, the 90s, 2000, and now we're in this next generation. Mm. Um, and you have, like, the Dutch great Leon, Leon, Leoten van Morsel. Leoten? You van live Morsel. in Belgium, mate. No, she's Dutch, but yeah, I know but like- Dutch name. I know it's Van Morsel. <laughs> so you've got her, Elsie um, Jacobs, which the tour is named after. She was a great in the, the 50s, 60s. Yeah, Evelyn oh, Stevens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I really like about um, Ellen in the build-up to this is that she's paid a lot of respect to Joss Loudon. Like, yeah, Joss is obviously, like, not a huge name on the road. She's done some, she's, like, had some good results and she's strong, but, like, I think to the average punter, like, they're kind of, they would be like, who is she? Mm. Um, and Ellen Van, they'd think, oh, Ellen, Ellen Van Dyke's going to smoke her, maybe, because she's known as a, well, she's a world time trial champion. But... All of the detail and all of the, because like Joss and her partner are known to be like well into all that aero malarkey. Um, and clearly like she did a really good ride and Ellen's paid like a lot of like, she's she's given her the due respect basically. She's kind of, she's not sitting there saying like, oh yeah, I'm going to walk all over. Yeah. But this race, at least from what I can tell, um, I would never, ever attempt such a thing. But it is really something special because I think um, if we go back in history to one of the greats from the UK, I read her book, The Greatest. Oh, my God. About Beryl Burton. Beryl Burton. She never successfully. Did you read The Greatest? Yes. Our oh, fathers will be so but, pleased. Yeah, it was a good book. She actually, one of the greatest athletes in cycling of all time. Oh, she yeah. failed it multiple times I believe she could just never quite crack this event which is interesting because she used to do like really long time trials yeah like, like the the crazy things well I mean the UK all is all about well you guys I don't include myself in that sorry 
But no, 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 that's fine. If you want a I time just, trial, honestly, I, I'm really like this is Ellen Van Dyke, legend. If she cracks it, amazing. I'm sorry, I can't be less interested in time trials. Yeah, I, like <laughs> I don't know. I just yeah, maybe it's because there's maths involved. I do really love that she's getting behind the history because I really believe that if you have a love of the history of your sport, it gives a lot more context and I don't know richness to your mm. career so mm-hmm. I always encourage young riders to learn more about the races they do because some of them are really interesting so thanks Lauren for bringing some of that up I didn't know some of that stuff so that was really cool and I then just- going on to the book club um <laughs> former um our record holder briefly before Evelyn took it was Aussie Bridie O'Donnell and she also wrote a book Life or Death that was the title and it's worth a read so if you're into women's cycling literature, very niche uh, book kind of <laughs> theme. It's a good one. It's a good read. She wrote it really well. I will definitely, I actually like reading, well, I like biography, sporting ones, um, or just in general. So I will definitely do that. But the Beryl Burnham one I really enjoyed. It yeah. was interesting to get inside of her head, particularly in that era. So if, if you... Wait, hang on. Did you read... Was it a biography or did you read her autobiography? It was by William Fothering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he did a brilliant. Oh, he's getting job. all the shout outs now. Eh? Well, he's he's a brilliant writer. He's, he's a great writer. Yeah, yeah he loves you too. I've seen a lot of love on on the. Well, Twitter. we and I worked with him at the course. Ah, and that's it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's today. I think at five or five thirty. But obviously, by the time this is in people's ears tomorrow, it'll be it'll done. Be done, and Ellen Van Dyke might be the new hour record holder. She might. Um, I hope she is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, she deserves it. And also, actually, to go back to Joss as well, she did say when she did it last year, she was kind of like, I expect this to be broken. I want to encourage more women to do it. Um, yeah, so. was, it, was it a race they were giving each other tips? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were chatting in the peloton. Yeah, about, about it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is you really just cool. love women cycling. <laughs> Okay, I guess that's it on the hour record. So what we've coming up, we've got coming up, I mean, we went on and on about not having enough tours on the calendar, but actually it seems like back-to-back tours. Next up is Ride London. So the first time ever, it's no longer a one-day event. This event actually started out in 2013 as a criterium um, in front of Buckingham Palace. What's that famous robe? Yeah. And it was basically a glorified criterium. It was really special. Um, It was won by Laura Kenny at the time, a year after her two gold medals at the London Olympics. I I did participate and it was quite quite a special thing to do, even though it was a criterium, getting flown into London for a one-day thing. And then it's sort of over the years, you know, built into this, like, Again, glorified criterium, a bit like we used to call the the first Lacourse a glorified criterium. It was special in its own way, but the prize purse was something that stood out about Ride London. It was insane. I think it started off at fifty thousand pounds and even might have grown to a thousand, uh, one hundred thousand pounds at one point mm. for a one day race. It got world tour status um, in two thousand and sixteen. And again, it was just a, a circuit race, basically in downtown London. Which downtown down, London? Or in front of, I don't know. Is it downtown London? No, no, it's just London. I don't know. Central, central London. <laughs> central London. I don't, to be, I'm laughing. I don't know London that well. Like I'm from the north, but down. It just sounds funny. It sounds like American to me to hear downtown anything. Oh, it's like Buckingham Buck Palace is downtown London. <laughs> Where do you, the Queen's like? I live downtown. I live downtown. <laughs> Um, and now in its, I guess it's ninth year since its um, right, inauguration. Because it, it started, it was like a post-Olympics kind of let's carry on the, the vibe. The hype. Yeah, because it finished in the same place as the Olympics, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. The famous point where Lizzie Dignan got second to Voss and now it's mm. a three-day tour. Um, I honestly haven't looked into the stages yet. No. Um, I don't know if anyone here has looked into the stages yet. Uh, the question, the big question mark for us was whether we would be able to watch this new race. 
Um, because for me, the interesting thing is, like I was saying, historically, the reason why I went through its history was the fact that at one point there was a prize purse of a hundred thousand pounds, which is a huge amount of money for. It used to be live. I remember watching it on like, yeah, it was pretty much a crit circuit race. Yeah. Yeah. So watching it live, I'm sure the money was there. Which, in my mind, if the prize purse was there and they have funding, then you would assume that funding could translate to live coverage. Am I wrong? I guess because they had money doesn't mean they currently have money. A pandemic did happen as well. I think what I've read, and I meant to be speaking to Hugh, I think, as the race director this week, but I think what I've read about it, he was doing a lot of interviews and stuff before Christmas, is that they're keeping the £100,000 Price for spread across three days, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but it sounds like there'll be no live coverage on stages one and two, which are out in the countryside in Essex, or the countryside of Essex. You know. um, but there will be coverage on live coverage on stage three, which is the crit around London. So it's a strange one because they've grown it and added these two days, but for the for the purposes of the coverage, it's staying the same as a crit, like these stages that are going to go and do in Essex. Which means why why even add those two days? Again, like, if you can't see it, did it happen? Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. And they but, said there's going to be highlights, but I think I think this is the problem that, okay, I don't know anything about technology, but the issue that UK organisers bring up is that we have worse coverage for 4G and it's harder to broadcast things that way. So in London, where also it's going to be fixed point cameras and stuff like that, they can basically, like, this is going to sound stupid, they can, like, plug into the internet, right? But, but yeah, yeah. on the like out out and about on the roads, it's apparently not doable. Still, but they managed to do it for the Tour of Britain. They could do it for Worlds, like the like it's now Tour of Yorkshire as well. That works. Oh, I'm sorry, it's not an excuse. Yeah. It's not an excuse. And also going back to the money thing, and you made a really valid point before. Like I'm pretty sure the women's peloton would be happy for that prize purse to be heavily cut. Mm to be distributed towards coverage. I mean, yeah, that I think now everyone is pretty, like everyone would agree that and it's way more important to have coverage than it is to have prize money, like massive prize money. Because at the end of the day, like prize money is optics, really. It is. Um, and it should be. That's that's not why you're lining up for a certain race, is mm. to win prize money. Um, at least in the women's world tour, these riders are now getting paid livable wages. And again, with that prize purse, if we looked at the history of the race, it was the wealthier teams winning anyway. So the rich were just getting richer. It's not like um, teams that weren't of world tour status uh, were coming and winning this race and then, you know, pocketing a big chunk of money that could help compensate for the fact that maybe they don't get paid a lot of money most of the year. I guess this is a conversation we're going to continue to have, but it's a bit disappointing. I'm not going to even say a bit. It's disappointing because I was really excited at the fact that this race was progressing, just like we're so stoked about the Tour de France because it's no longer just this one-day event. It's gone from the Champs-Élysées to the mountains of, of France to now actually being a proper stage race and we were all really excited when this got announced as a three-day tour because we wanted more stage racing and the timing before um, the women's tour was brilliant. Mm. But will we be able to watch it? I don't know. I guess it's only five days from now or something, three, four days. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. Uh, And on that note, I guess that's, that's it. We've done it. We somehow managed to survive without Abby. We've missed her voice. There's a picture of her face on the yeah, screen. Yeah, I was like, which she's been here. like, it's been comforting, and <laughs> I feel like she she's it's been listening to this. Um, for those of you safety net, <laughs> <laughs> we didn't actually mention it, and I think we can. The reason, obviously, Abby is not joining us today because this is her first baby, and then Ezzy, her dog, was her second. She's just given birth to a beautiful baby girl a healthy baby girl um, and she's taking some time to to be with her and 
yeah, sending lots of love to Abby and she will be back soon. We've missed her. I'm sure you've missed her voice. This is her podcast and we're all really grateful to be co-host with her. It's Abby's world. We're all just living in it. It really is. <laughs> um, so thanks for joining the Freewheeling podcast and um, stay tuned for more. Bye. Bye.